Last week, we, we started a series called The Cry for the City, and we talked about how God cares about cities, and um, because when, when God wants to transform society, a lot of times, he focuses on cities because if you can affect a city, you affect all the little towns in the region around it. And as we continue the series today, the next installment is God's Cry for the People. You see, when God cares about the city, uh, he doesn't care about the buildings. God's not uh, weeping over a building. God is not in love with blacktop and concrete. Also, God is not impressed with our infrastructure. How many of you know that God who created heavens and earth isn't, isn't walking around going, you guys are really smart, huh? you built the building. You know, so when we talk about God's cry for the city, it's because within that city is people. And the thing that matters more to God than anything else is people. What drove Jesus to the cross was his love for people. Understand, at any time, Jesus could have said, I'm good, and walked away. When they came up to arrest him, he could have said, oh, that whole Messiah thing, that, no, forget about that. I, forget about that thing. That Christ thing, forget about that thing. I'm going to go be a carpenter. Jesus loves us so much that he went to the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could know the Father and live out the plan that God has for us. It's that cry, it's that passion for people that drove Jesus to do that. And also, God knows people are lonely, people are hurting, people are in pain. And, and Christ literally weeps for that. One of the scriptures says that Jesus looked upon the city and he wept. Once again, he was not crying about the potholes. He was not crying about the excessive tolls. He was not crying about the lack of parking. He was crying because he loves people. And he said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're, just, they're going in all these different directions. And he wanted to help them. And God wants us to know him, not only for now, but for all eternity. But that relationship doesn't begin when we die. That relationship begins in this side of eternity. So he wants us to know him. And if you look to 1 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, this is one of my favorite scriptures. And it captures the heart of God and how he views each and every person. It says this, it says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So God looks at each one of us and says, you know what? I don't want you to go through the pain of separation from me. I don't want you to go through the pain of living your life outside my plans and purposes. I want you to be saved and saved. Sometimes that's a, a Bible word. What, saved from what? Saved from our own actions. Saved from doing the wrong things and being out of relationship with God. How many of you have ever made a bad decision or a bad choice or something you regretted? All right. Sometimes we don't understand that the word sin, we look at it as sort of this, this bad word, like someone yelling at you, like don't sin. What sin means is to do something outside the will of God. So sometimes a bad decision is outside the will of God. A bad relationship is outside the will of God. And God wants to protect us from those things. Um, and he does that by guiding us and leading us. But it begins when we have a relationship with him so that we're, we're open to his leading. We're open to his following and what he has. Also, he wants us to be healed 
and strong and strengthened uh, sometimes from the pain we've received from others. You see, sometimes we make the wrong decisions, but sometimes we pay a price for other people's choices and other people's decisions and what they did for us or what they didn't do for us. So God says, I want to heal you from that. God, he knows the pain that we feel. He knows the pain of rejection. He knows the pain of being judged, even in wrong situations. Jesus didn't deserve the cross. We know that. So he understands these things. But it's God's will that we all come into relationship. And that's the cry for the people. God says, I want you to know me for yourself. So let's go to Acts 17, beginning at verse 16. As we look at this, God's cry for the people. And in that, we see Jesus. We see a pattern in the Bible. The Bible has a lot of different patterns. So one of the patterns is, you know, Jesus reached out to people. And then in Acts 17, it explains how Paul reached out to people. And even Jesus said, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all men. So there's this pattern of always people receiving from God, but then going and sharing it with others. Beginning at verse 16 of Acts 17, it says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. See, Paul, Paul had the same heart as Jesus. Jesus looked at the city and wept. Paul is looking at the city and wept. He feels this pain. It doesn't say that he wept there, but he, he's distressed. In verse 17, it says, so he reasoned in the synagogue and with the Jews and with the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. They took him and brought him to a meeting at the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. So the first thing is this. Paul felt the burden of the people. He saw their pain. He saw that they were worshiping false things. They were putting their hope in idols. They were putting their hope in statues. They were putting their hope in false philosophy, false religion, false gods. And he saw this and he didn't judge them. He didn't say, you know what, these people, they're worshiping stone things and they're worshiping false gods and they have wrong ideas. He didn't allow that to cloud his judgment. He said, you know what, these are people that are meant to be God's children in relationship with him. And he felt that burden. He couldn't just he couldn't just watch it he couldn't just see it he it, he realized it's not enough just to judge it I have to go do something about it he understood also that people were putting their hopes in these false beliefs and also in these lifestyles you have to understand um Athens, Greece at the time. This is a place where they had the greatest philosophers you read about and you know about Plato and Socrates this they're from Greece so this is a society that is very well educated, very smart. They're thinkers. You know, these are not people that are, are they're not, you know, uh, rejecting God because they, they don't know anything or they're not smart. These are very, very smart people. One of the reasons I believe that they chose to learn about philosophy because we also read about their, their lifestyle. You know, they were very uh, loose with their lifestyle. They were, uh, it was very common in their society to be very sexually loose. They had orgies. They had all this and all that. So Paul is talking to people, said, you know what? I want to go for everything physical, all the physical pleasures that are available. That was the society, but yet they weren't satisfied. They also studied all of the philosophies, all of the religions, all of these things, but they weren't, they weren't satisfied. They were still looking. That's why they asked Paul. They said, these are some strange ideas. These are different. We haven't heard of anything like this. Can you teach us some more? And in that, um, you know, this reminds me, you know, when I first came to the church back in 1997, um, I had never heard the gospel 
I had never heard of the concept that God loved me and that God cared for me. It was a strange idea. I had to learn about that. I thank God that here at Christ Church, I wasn't judged. I wasn't told. I was living all kinds of lifestyles of, of looseness and partying and things like that. People didn't sit me down and say, you know what? You need to clean up this and clean up this and clean up this. And you need to do this and you're no good. They said, come here. They loved me. They cared for me. And what happened was because I was loved and cared for in the church setting, I was able to receive from worship. I was able to receive from the word of God. And God began to transform me from the inside out. But it was because the people here loved me. See, sometimes you don't see your role. You don't understand that the fact that you hug somebody, that you care for somebody, that that makes a difference. You may be giving somebody the only hug that they get all week. You may be the most positive person somebody sees all week. And understand, as a pastor, I see people come in and they smile. Everything looks great. Then you talk to them about what they're really going through. See, you have an opportunity each and every week to love and serve people that are in pain, that are looking for answers, that are looking for encouragement, that need to connect with God. So here's the question we want to answer today. How can we help people connect with God? What can I do? How can I do this? Number one, start where they are. Start where they are. See, the apostle Paul, he went to the people. He didn't sit back and wait for people to come to him. He didn't say, you know what? Oh, we have a church building. Somehow people are going to come here. He went to the people. And not only that, in this situation, but Paul had a lifestyle of meeting people where they're at. He wasn't just expecting people to come to his doorstep. He went to them. And if you look at just these few verses here, number one, he went to the synagogue. So the synagogue was their church. So Paul went to religious people, um, and in that, there's people in our lives, they're very religious, but they may be disconnected from God. Paul also knew that even though they were religious and they were disconnected from God, they may or may not receive what he had to say. But he wasn't there to judge them. He was there to share further truth with them. He was there to accept them as they are, but then to teach them more. And if you look at the people, eventually they said, this, these ideas are new to us. So just because somebody's religious doesn't mean that you can't teach them more about Christ. And they may have a, a, a religious background, uh, maybe from a Christian faith, but they may not know Christ. See, I was raised Roman Catholic. I went to a Roman Catholic school for eight years. But somehow in that, I never got the idea that God cared about me and wanted a personal relationship with me. I understood Christianity in a historical concept, but not in a, in a personal concept. So he spoke, and it says he spoke to the Jews. So these are the people that had the Jewish background. He also talked, it said, to God-fearing people. God-fearing people, they were Gentiles that were basically living a Jewish lifestyle, but not 100%. So for instance, they came to synagogue, they studied the scriptures, they gave unto the Lord, but certain things they weren't on, on board with, even though they served God. You know, for instance, the Jews would not, a lot of them would not eat any food that was sacrificed to idols. But in a city like Athens, all the food was sacrificed to idols because that was the city. So they would eat the food. Also, they were not down with the whole circumcision bit. So they were saying, you know what, the faith thing is good, but the circumcision, you guys can keep that. You know, so that's where they were. But besides that, they were very honorable religious people. Also, Paul went to the marketplace. This is the broader society. 
You see, one of the greatest places God wants to use you is in, in where you work. If you go to school, God wants to use you there if you're a student. If you're in a business, God wants to use you there. One of the things since I gave my life to Christ, I've uh, had many different full-time jobs and part-time jobs, but I've always made it an issue to share Christ with people. And one thing I've learned, you don't have to push it in people's face. You just have to have conversations. You just have to talk with people. And what happens at some point, they start asking you questions about you. And a lot of times that's the doorway to get to people. Then he also went to the Areopagus. This is where the intellectually elite were. This is where the great philosophers were. And so understand, there'll be times when God will put you in places surrounded by highly educated people that are, they may be highly educated, but guess what? They still lack some knowledge of God. And you may not be as smart as them. You may not have the degrees that they have. In certain ways, number one, Paul was very well educated in Jewish culture, but that's not impressive to the people in the, in the Greek culture. They may look down upon him, but Paul didn't let that stop him from sharing the truth. And understand something, people can have a PhD in all kinds of things, but if they don't know God, that PhD doesn't help them in eternity. And also a lot of, understand, one of my favorite preachers, he talks, some people have a PhD, but they have a PhD in an ungodly concept, so they just have a PhD in wrong thinking. So they may be an expert, but when it comes to God, they may know nothing. So in that, you may be a high school dropout, but guess what? You're an expert in the things of God. Allow God to use you in that area. And when we look at this too, uh, it says in, in Paul's day, the Areopagus, this was a place uh, where they would, they would talk, they would have all these philosophical discussions and all of these things. And uh, not everybody accepted what Paul had to say. You see, we have to understand some things. Not everybody's going to be open to what we have to say. And when we go for this, we have to just make sure that we're still reaching out to people. So when Paul did this, some of the different ways, he changed his geography. He went to the people. He was from Israel. He was from a, a small town of Jerusalem. He went from Jerusalem to Greece. He went from, Israel, he went from uh, the country of Israel to the country of Greece. It was about 800 different mi or 780 miles from Asia all the way to Europe. He crossed cultures and religions. He crossed philosophies. And understand something. No matter how different you are than people, Paul sought to connect with them where they were at and what they were in in their current process. This is the same process that Jesus did. Jesus left heaven, perfection, to come here. Paul left the area of where he was well known to a place where nobody knew him. God will also use us, sometimes take us out of our own comfort zone and to put us someplace new. So we're able to connect with God, uh, connect people with God when we go where they are. The second thing, how do we connect people with God? Find common ground. Very simple, find common ground. As humans, we have the same uh, needs. We have shared experiences. We have shared desires. And a lot of times there's common ground there no matter what uh, differences there are. I often tell people, because they say, well, what, what, what do I have in common with this person? And what, what do I have in common with that person? Two of the ways uh, that we can connect with people is very simple. We connect through common passions and we can connect through common pain. So if you have the same passion as somebody, you may come from a different background, a different education level, but if you have that same pa uh, passion for something, that's a connection point. For other people, it's pain, right? How many people have ever gone through pain? 
You know, you may be very different than somebody, but you have a similar type of pain. Or maybe you haven't experienced their pain, but you've experienced pain in someplace else. So you can begin to encourage them and help them where they're at. The other day, I was actually um, with somebody. I was, I was driving them someplace, and they told me that they had been a teacher. And they had been a teacher, but basically they burned out. So because they burned out, they quit teaching. And they had also, at that same time, gone through several uh, personal life struggles. And I was able to talk to them because I had been a teacher. And I had also worked with youth for 25 years. And I had also burned out very bad. I got to a point where I, I couldn't feel emotion. I couldn't think. I couldn't remember things. So I was an expert in all these things over here, but I wasn't able to function it because I had experienced so much stress for so, much, so long. I had gone through so many personal things and I'd gone through some personal crises and my body began to shut down. So I was able to talk to this man. I had just met him. And I was able to tell him, because he was telling me he had worked in Asbury or Neptune, and he was working with uh, very poor kids from broken families, and he was so distraught for two reasons. Number one, uh, that he couldn't help them enough. And number two, he was under self-condemnation now because he quit. And I had to tell him, you know what? Number one, you're called by God to help these kids. You're, you're called by God to, you're not done teaching. And he was somewhere between a smile and a tear and he said, you know what? He said, I know I'm not done, but I can't do it now. And you know what I said to him? I said, you don't need to do it now. You need to recover now. You're in pain. You're burnt out. You've been through too many hard things. You need to recover. And you know what? You don't need to feel guilt or shame about that. Because our world is full of people that will look at a man like him and say, you quit. You did this. You did that. You're no good. And he'll go into self-condemnation. And that will keep him from the call of God. But in that, I said, you know what? Take the time. Heal. God's not done with you. And understand, this guy, he's, the other conversation, he's talking about what bar he's going to, his girlfriend. You understand? So I'm not focused on the things I disagree about his life. I'm not talking about, well, you don't need to go to the bar. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about, well, you shouldn't be doing this with your girlfriend. I, I met him where he was at. I went to where he is. I spoke, spoke about common things. And I told him, I said, I worked with youth leaders and teachers for 25 years. I've never met somebody that hasn't gone through burnout. This is a common experience that you're going to get through. You don't need to feel bad about it and, and do all these things. And I gave him my number, and I hope he calls me. I don't know if he will. But I have to recognize I'm just part of the process. I have to deal with his pain right now. I pray to God that he calls me back because the next conversation is real simple because he's going to tell me, I don't know if I can do this. And I'll be able to tell him, you can't do it on your own, but you can do it with God. You see, we have to involve ourselves as part of this process. Too many times we look at, well, I'm going to give a nice speech to somebody. I'm going to have one conversation with a person and they're going to come to God. God is over here, and this guy's 100 miles over here, and he's in pain. And he doesn't know about God, and he doesn't know about this, and he doesn't know about that, and he doesn't know about church. He doesn't even care about those things. But the one thing he told me was this. He goes, you know what? He goes, I don't trust anybody. He said, but for some reason, I trust you. You see, when we put ourselves out there, I, I, and, and that's something, I can't do that. I can't make somebody trust me. All I can do is love and care for somebody, meet them where they're at, share a common experience, share that pain, and now I have to pray. He has my number. I don't know if he'll ever call me. But you know what? I can't control that. All I can control is I planted the seed, 
I loved him where he was at. I met him where he was at. I offered more help. And I'm going to pray until God puts him back in touch with me. And we connect with people when we meet them where they're at, when we find common grounds. And um, like I said, it's not a matter of I wasn't focused on the differences. I wasn't focused on the things that I disagree with. I wasn't focused on the things that I don't approve of. I was meeting him where he was at. When we look at Acts verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 22, it says this. It said, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. So it's amazing that even in a, a very religious society with many gods, they recognize there's something we don't know. I, could you imagine creating a statue that says to the unknown God? They, they knew it deep down inside. They said, we have all of these gods and we do all of these ceremonies and we sacrifice all these things. But we know that there is something out there that is different than what we know. See, that is a commonality of all men. They said that this Greek society, we had sex and we had orgies. We did everything. We drank, we partied, we did everything. But we're still looking for the unknown God. We created all these religions. Guess what? We, we are the smartest people. They were the smartest people on the planet. That's where the bed of democracy was, the bed of philosophy was. These are the smartest people on the planet. And at the end of it, they're creating statues that say to an unknown God. They're saying, though we're the smartest, guess what? We don't know everything. So like I said, you may have a third grade edu education, but you know that Jesus loved them. You know that Jesus died for their sins. You know that Jesus will meet them where they're at. That's the knowledge. That's the unknown God. And that's what Paul was saying. He said, you know what? I'm going to tell you about this unknown God. And he did it by finding common ground. See, some of the ways that we find common ground, Paul demonstrates them to us. And because Paul was a bridge builder, he was a connector. The first thing was this, he was culturally relevant. See, Paul went into their, their society. He talked their language. He used a conversation um, style called rhetoric. All right. And in that rhetoric, he basically went in there and he said, you know, you guys are, you know, you're the Areopagus, you're smart. He he praised them for their knowledge and, and seeking, you know, he didn't go in there and, and create division and fight and argue with people. The Bible says that he who wins souls is wise. It doesn't say he, he who wins arguments is wise. And it doesn't say he who wins arguments wins souls. So Paul was wise. He looked at the society. He read it. He saw, the, he saw everything. He wasn't lazy. He didn't sit back. He, he studied society. He was able to communicate in their language. He didn't use all kinds of Christianese. You ever meet people and they say, well, you need Jesus to receive the propitiation of your sin, which create the transformation when you get the revelation. You know, and then people looking at you and, and you think that you're like this really smart Christian, but you, but you really sound like the drunk philosopher guy on the corner of 125th Street. You know, talking about the pontification of the phil philosophication of the, like, and the people looking at you like you're crazy. And here's the thing, if you just use simple words to help people understand, you don't get any points by using language that nobody gets. 
And understand, this is something you have to practice. This is something, because when you've been in church and you hear all these words, uh, you know, they, they become part of your thinking. But the problem is people outside the church have no idea what you're talking about. So their brain is all twisted up because you're using, you know, SAT words. You know, God loves you. It's a simple concept. God has a plan for you. It's a simple concept. God will help you. It's simple. You know, and let me tell you, that's what people need. So being culturally relevant. The second thing is this. Seek to understand. Understand what people are going through. Ask them questions. People want to be cared for. People want to be loved. I didn't judge this guy, you know, that I was giving a ride to and, 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 and you know, about his lifestyle. I, I wanted to know where he's at. What is he doing? Because he was telling me, I'm making all this money, but I'm miserable. I'm making like so much money right now, but I hate it. And I was able to understand that's, that's not what you're called to do. So I was able to confidently tell him, you're going to teach again. And he knew it because that was the burning desire of his soul. I had to understand who he was so that he would listen. Also, building upon commonalities. You see, who you are um, is a bridge, See, in church culture over the decades, we think that the only people sometimes that can connect people with God is the guy up on the stage with the three-piece suit, with the three-point sermon, with the wind tunnel tested hairdo. Okay, that's the model of the church, the perfect guy up front that gives the perfect message that somehow at the end of it, people understand it. And understand that I'm not against that type of thing, but I'm against it in the sense that sometimes I don't qualify for that. I'm not the guy up there. You may feel that, but that's not what God is calling you to do. When Jesus sent out his, his followers, understand something. A lot of these followers, they were nobody. The, the religious leaders of the day said, who are these guys? They don't know anything. They haven't been trained. They don't know anything. But the Bible says, but they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So the qualification for you to help other people to connect with God is that you have been with Jesus. It's not a PhD. It's not a master's of divinity. It's not all that. You know, I actually found it easier for a long time that I was able to win people to Jesus before I had a title, before I had any of these stuff, because you just think like people in the public and you're able to communicate with them a certain way. So God is using you in the days ahead because you're able to meet people where they're at. You're able to understand them differently. And listen, if you're an IT guy, you can, you can share with them about IT stuff and use some of that ideas to bring them to Christ. Paul in here uses the poet. Uh, and he says, you know, the poet says that, you know, you are the offspring. You are God's offspring. So he used creation. Everybody knows that there's creation, that, there's, that everything exists, and that if you talk to people about it, that somehow it came out of nothing, and you're able to talk about creation, and God created us to be like, he, uh, like him, but also we are all created by the same God. It brings unity, and this is something that anybody can do. And you might ask the next question is, uh, building upon commonalities, is this, is share your story. You see, you find common ground by sharing your story. I uh, talked to another man this week. Anybody, I seem to talk to a lot of people, right? This is a lifestyle. I was talking to a guy, and he was a Roman Catholic. He was from Jersey City. And um, he, had, he had basically said that he had stopped going to church um, because the priest that he had grown up with got killed in a car accident. All right, so I didn't start talking about uh, uh, philosophical or theological differences between uh, Roman Catholicism and Protestantism. 
I didn't argue about, okay, well, you guys baptize babies. We baptize adults. You know, I didn't get into all that. I didn't get into all that because none of it matters. You have a guy that's disconnected from God. You have a guy that's disconnected from the church. And you know what I said to him? Because he felt bad about it and he was condemning himself. I said, you know what? I said, the reason why you haven't gone back to church because when, when you're a priest, when your father got killed, that was very painful for you. I said, when you grow up and you look towards that person over the years and you lose that person, I said, you're, you're not having gone back to church because you're bad. You haven't gone back to church because you're in pain. And that was a door. And it was funny, during the conversation, he found out that I was a pastor and he had been cursing and cursing and cursing. And, um, you know, the first thing he started, then he started apologizing. You see, when God's presence comes in, you don't even have to judge people. I said nothing to the guy about cursing. He was cursing. And all of a sudden he goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said, listen, don't worry about it. I said, listen, I used to curse worse than you. See commonalities. And... Um, in fact, I was very unimpressed with this level of cursing. So, and that. I mean, I was good at it. So anyway, so, but the whole idea was, and then he said, this is how you bridge commonalities. I said, no, I used to curse. Don't worry about it. I said, but you felt bad when you cursed, right? He said, yeah, I did. I said, that's because God moved on your heart and you repented. The Bible talks about repentance. So I didn't, I didn't say anything to you and, you know, whatever. I'm not offended by what you said. But you felt the need to apologize and to be forgiven. That's the key to knowing God. If you just ask God to forgive every bad thing that you've done because you feel that need inside of you. See, if I just said, you know what, you're cursing and I'm holy. I'm a pastor. How dare thou curse in my presence? I just thought I said, don't worry about it. And that, that led to further conviction. Because he's like, what do you mean, don't worry about it? It's wrong. I'm like, okay. And I explained repentance to him. And so you use these commonalities of what's going on and let God do that. And we do that in, in, our, in our conversations and different things like that. Also, the last thing is this. How do we connect? How do we help people connect with God? You form real relationships. You form real relationships. What this means is you love and you care for people whether or not they ever come to church. You serve people, you help people, you reach out to people, whether or not they give their life to Christ. You know, and in that, something powerful happens. Because you can't drive people into the kingdom of God. You have to let them know about it. They have to choose it. It's a choice. If God gives people free choice, I have to give people free choice. You know, and in this, in Acts 17, verse 32, we learn some other things from Paul. It says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This teaches us a couple lessons. Number one, not everybody is going to want a relationship with us. Not everybody is going to want to hear. Paul said some of them sneered. Sneered means they made a face. They looked at him uh, funny. They might have sucked their teeth. They, you know, whatever they did, they looked at him and said, you know what, you're crazy. Or they looked at him and said, you know what, I'm not interested in what you have to say. They sneered at him. They made fun of him, you know. And guess what? 
See, I'm telling you some of the good stories, but I could tell you, I could sit here all day and tell you some of the other stories where I started talking to people about God and they'd be like, that's good for you, brother. Bring me to the bar. You know what I mean? And that's just what they say. But I can't let some people that reject the message of God get in the way of those that do. You see, it says others will hear and want to hear more. Dionysius and Damaris and others. See, Dionysius was a member of the Areopagus. So this is one of the culturally elite, uh, mentally elite people. So we need to expect that those type of people will come to the Lord. Also, um, others will want to hear more. And that, those are the people that we build relationships with. We connect with them. See, I talked about the two guys that I met this week. Uh, one of them, I gave them both my number. I gave them both my contact information. Well, guess what? If one or both of them calls me back, that's where my time and energy is going to go. And the people that went with Paul, he poured his life into them. So God will do that with you. Also, the question is then, how do we build real relationships? And this may seem like a simple question or, or, or um, even condescending. Like, what do you mean? You're going to teach me how to build relationships? But the reality is this. Many people don't have real relationships. And even if you do, most of our re real relationships are with people that are just like us. But how do I build a relationship with people that are different than me? How do I build a relationship? People may be ethnically different, educationally different, career different, uh, lifestyle different. And we can build relationships with anyone. And it's really simple how we do this. Number one, be you. Just be you. Just be you. You know, I have knowledge. I have experience. But if you, honestly, if you, you ask me what my greatest gift is, it's this. I love people. I love people. I, I just love people. I love people. And that is my doorway into people's lives. Most people aren't going to be impressed by what you know or this or that or what you've done. Um, just And be you. You may be a highly intellectual person. Use that. Use that. You may use words um, that, that mo the average person doesn't understand. You can use that in a certain context, and that's what's going to get through to people. Or whoever you are, be you, be transparent, be honest. See, I didn't tell the guy, well, I haven't cursed in over 21 years because God transformed me. I didn't say that to the guy. I said, you know what? I used to be worse than that. Just be you, be transparent. That's often the biggest bridge. See, God doesn't need you to be someone else. God needs you to be you. Who you are is a gift to the world. The second thing is this, be encouraging. Be encouraging. If I got a dollar for every negative comment that I get, everybody that sneers at me, everybody that judges me, everybody that tells me that wasn't good enough, that, you know, that do this, do that, man, I would be a rich man. You know, I don't know. I don't remember too many people coming up to me saying, you know what? You're great. This is good. This is that. So look for the good in people and bring that out. I, I wasn't angry at the man for stopping teaching. I said, you know what? You had to because you had nothing left. But you know what? There's something inside of you that the world needs. So I was able to address the brokenness, but get, give him hope to encourage. That man will be back teaching even if I never see him again. And the last thing is this, be accepting. Be accepting. And I want you to understand, being accepting of people doesn't mean you agree with everything they think. It doesn't agree with how they live. All right, I don't agree with the guy cursing in my backseat. You know what I mean? But guess what? I accept him. I don't agree with the guy that's, you know, planning on going to the bar after I tell him about God, but I accept him. And we have to plant seeds, love people, and then let God do the thing. And in that, listen, 
Each one of us, I guarantee it, you have people in your life that are disconnected from God. But God has a cry for people. And the reality is this, I'm one person. After today, I'm, I'm gonna be able to have conversations as one person. During this week, I'm gonna be able to have conversations as one person. But right in this room right now, there are hundreds of people. And that means hundreds of opportunities this afternoon to help people grow closer to God. Remember, people coming to God is a process. If you can help someone who's way over here take a few steps closer, guess what? Someone else is going to come in. The guy that I was talking about in Jersey City, after we talk about this, he was like, yeah, you know, my cousin's husband's a minister or something. I'm praying for that something, right? And I don't know if I'm ever going to see that guy again. But guess what? If I don't lead him to Christ, I'm going to trust that God has someone else in line. It doesn't matter if you're the first person that helps someone take that step or you're that person that prays with them when they give their life to Christ. As long as you put yourself in the process, you're part of God's plan on helping others.